0: Yep, so we're reading from Daniel chapter 4 King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth peace be multiplied to you It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, "O Belteshazzar, Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed and behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. And as, he was commanded to leave, as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the, words, the word was filled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the time, at the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendour returned to me. My counsellors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of Heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble.
1: Thanks, Hannah. If you're in uh, Youth Church, now's your time to go to the back of the room and uh, Darcy will uh, take you guys off to uh, do your thing. Check this out, check this out. Nebuchadnezzar. N-E-B-U-C-H-A-D-N-E-Z-Z-A-R. If I got nothing else out of it, I've mastered the spelling there. Another funny story this morning, I was I was driving to church and I was nearly here and I was thinking about my sermon. I was like, yeah, my sermon, My sermon. I'll do this, I'll do that. And I'll start looking at the seat. Where's my sermon? <laughs> I left it at home. And I sent Tim a text message and said, sorry, mate, I'm just running over to get my sermon. And then I'm driving back and I get a text from Tim saying, mate, drive safely, you know, don't rush. And he's like, on second thought, don't read this text. It's like, ah, too late. <laughs> but But I made it anyway, so... Uh, I'm really excited to talk about uh, this chapter today, um, because until I had the opportunity to actually preach this sermon and study it a bit more closely, I didn't actually realize that I'd been missing something incredibly um, beautiful about this chapter all these years. And I, re- I reckon I've listened to Daniel or read Daniel at least 20 times, um, and 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 this dullard here just sort of glossed over this. And I don't know if you guys might be the same or not, um, but... Um, what I've, what I've come to realize, too, from the text is chapters one to four are actually a complete story, a complete package. Uh, and, uh, you know, we didn't have the, cha- you know, the chapter and verse divisions that we have today originally, too. That's something to keep in mind. <clears throat> so what's this a story of? What are these first four chapters an account of? So it may be a shock to some of you, and it might, might not be if you're sort of a bit more switched on than me. But this is actually, among other things, the story of God's pursuit of Nebuchadnezzar's soul. Um, And chapter 4 culminates beautifully in Nebuchadnezzar's conversion to the God of Israel. And as we step through the text together, it's my hope that you'll take great encouragement uh, from Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. Uh, But first, let's pray. Lord God, uh, we thank you always for your word. Uh, We thank you for um, this this incredible story of uh, you interacting for your glory and showing people your truth through these historical people. Um, And whilst it would have been hard for, hard, for the, hard for the Jews to go through this this change and this, these tumultuous times. Um, I pray that we read these examples and, and we helps us to understand that even when life is not going as we want it to be, it's not smooth, that you're always working out all things for your glory and for the salvation of other people. And I just pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So the first thing that I found really fascinating about this chapter, is it's actually written either by or on behalf of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. So we've got a part of the Bible that actually contains an address from an historical ruler. You know, I find that really exciting. Um, so have a look at verse one with me. It sort of says it there. It says, "King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of every language, who live in all the earth." So we've got the king himself addressing all the subjects of the Babylonian Empire. So what's he addressing them about? Let's have a look at verse two. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. So we have here the king, he's happy and he's excited to share an account of an experience that he's had with God. Uh, And this is the foundation of this address. So let's have a look at this experience. Have a look again to at uh, verse four, it should come up on the screen. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When this terrifying dream came to Nebuchadnezzar, he was contented and prosperous. When life is good, and you're winning, and you're making money, and you're healthy, and you've got it it all, God tends to take a lower priority on our hierarchy, doesn't He? In fact, for for a lot of people, God doesn't even get a thought or a mention when life's going good. So, and that's Nebuchadnezzar's case. So, God's blessed him greatly. He's been given dominion, power, glory, honour, wealth. He's conquered many nations and people. And as we know, one of those conquests was the city of Jerusalem. And if you can flick back with me quickly... To Daniel 1, verse 1 and 2. I'll give you a second. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So we know from the text that the Lord delivered the kingdom into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. But Nebuchadnezzar refuses to acknowledge that the only reason he conquered Jerusalem is because God allowed it. Like us all, Nebuchadnezzar is God's instrument to use as he sees fit to accomplish his will. God used the Babylonians to judge the Israelites for their rebellion and sin, just as he used the Assyrians earlier during the reign of the kings, and then much later he used the Romans. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is recorded historically as being a brilliant military tactician, like this man just understood warfare, um, and he often conquered over uh, seemingly insurmountable odds just through his military genius. But the mistake he made was he foolishly believed that his accomplishments were due to his own strength and his own brilliance, his own power. But the wise person always honors and praises God for their gifts. I really love what uh, Eric Waddell says in the film, Chariots of Fire. He says, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I think that's really good. I think that's really appropriate. Makes me think of the book of Job. In the final chapters, God's describing his creation to Job. And he's describing powerful creatures with incredible strength and ferocity that man can't even go near. But God gave them that strength and power. And God is proud of his work, appropriately proud. You might remember in Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter 1, it says, God saw all he made and it was very good. You see, God takes great pleasure in his creation. And guess what? He takes great pleasure in you because you're part of that creation. And he takes pleasure in watching you grow and develop and he loves to see you using the gifts he gave you to honor and serve him. So I plead with you, don't waste them, don't squander them. Run for God, revel in his great pleasure. It's okay, it's a good thing. Rejoice in your your ability, but just appropriately praise the one who gave it to you. God is your father and he loves you. Every child wants to bask in their parents' favor. It's in our nature and it's good and appropriate and healthy to do so any proud parent wants to see their children reach their full potential and that's why the christian worldview i think provides the ultimate intellectual justification for the human pursuit of excellence it's a good thing but we just must always remember to praise and thank god for our achievements because without life without rational minds and certain individual innate physical traits where would we be without those we'd be nowhere so God gave Jerusalem into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, and He did it for His own reasons. Now, I don't pretend to know the mind of God, but some reasons are given in the text. We know it was punishment of Israel for their sin and rebellion, but I also think there were other reasons that we might never know about until we, we get to heaven, maybe. Remember the profound impact that Joseph had when he enslaved under the Egyptian Empire. Like Daniel, Joseph was another man who God had enabled to interpret dreams. And it's something really important that we need to always remember as Christians or as anybody. People are always watching you. You might not convince someone to trust Christ in a day or a week or a year, but if you consistently serve God and you're changing the lives of of people around you, which you will when you serve Christ, it's inevitable. Others will see that and they'll say, there's something different about this guy. Look Look at the profound impact he's having on people. And they go, he's a child of God. He's always praising Jesus Christ. I might turn to Christ also. And I have no doubt that witnesses to Joseph's life in Egypt trusted in the God of Israel after seeing the hand of God on Joseph. And like Daniel, Joseph appropriately acknowledged God for his abilities. He never took the credit for himself. And this kind of humility is a sign, not the sign, but a sign of righteousness. But always remember God is the master weaver. He's always a thousand steps ahead, willing events for his purposes and for his glory. And usually God's purpose is usually going about the business of pursuing someone's salvation. There's a beautiful poem um, called uh, Master Weaver. If anyone hasn't read it, I highly encourage you to look it up and read a beautiful poem. So how did God go about his purpose of pursuing Nebuchadnezzar's salvation? He started off pretty gently, I, I would say. He blessed him with an incredible mind, which led to military victories, often against overwhelming odds. But Nebuchadnezzar thought he was somehow responsible for his own incredible rational mind. I don't know how that works. Or he attributed it maybe to his pagan gods. So, his, so his, um, his praise was going to the wrong place in either case. Then God sent him one of his servants, Daniel. Daniel was able to do the impossible. He told Nebuchadnezzar what he had dreamed. And Nebuchadnezzar briefly acknowledges Daniel and rewards him with rank and responsibility and, and gives praise to Daniel's God or gods. He's still pretty confused about that. But he still doesn't really get the point, does he? So then God ups the ante a little bit, starts turning it up a notch. He sends more men of God Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how I say it, Abednego. Um, who he supernaturally rescues from the fire of a blazing furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar is amazed and praises the God of Israel, appropriately so but he still does not get the message for long. Why? Why did these miraculous signs and wonders not have the lasting impact on Nebuchadnezzar's response to God? Have a look at verse four with me again. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home at my palace, contented and prosperous. He was too comfortable. He had it all. He was too busy living his best life now. You know how we're always, you've heard that one, you've got to pursue your best life now. We're obsessed with it in this culture. It wasn't him in the furnace, by the way, it wasn't him being threatened to be cut into little pieces and have his house reduced to piles of rubble. So, he was just a comfortable observer. He had no skin in the game, so to speak. So, God removed that barrier of wealth and comfort and and mercifully and lovingly used suffering to awaken Nebuchadnezzar from his slumber. Uh, In chapter 6 of his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis wrote this, pain insists upon being attended to god whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our consciences but shouts in our pains it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world because when we're comfortable and things are going well we don't think about god so much it's only when hard times come by that are out of our control that we turn to the ultimate power of the universe because at the deepest fiber of our beings we know there is a god who can do all things And we see it time and time again. That's why even the ardent atheist will cry out, please God, no, when hard times hit. It's not uncommon that people who speak multiple languages will revert to their native tongue when the heat is on. God is our creator. Our default position is knowledge of His existence. And when all illusion is stripped away through suffering, there's only you and God left. And I remember a few years ago, I was probably 20, oh, I don't even know, 2016 or something. Uh, uh, I was at the, uh, the Wagga Church of Christ and I met a man afterwards. His name was Gary, I think. And he runs an auto mechanic shop somewhere around Cooter or Young. Don't know if he still does. Uh, but anyway, he was telling me his testimony of how he came to faith in Christ. And, you know, it was common, common thing you hear. But, he, you know, he was, he'd been playing games with God for years, doing it his own way, you know, Um you know, just just uh, ignoring God, playing games. and But then suddenly in his life, a series of catastrophes just hit him like bam, one after the other. And, uh, and I can't remember all the details about the story, to be honest, but I remember the final part that he said, he said um, his, his house collapsed. And I can't remember how, it might've been a fire or something, but he said, as he sat there and surrounded by the wreckage of his house, he just sank to his knees and he just cried out to God. And he said, I give up God, I give myself to you, you know, message received and understood, you know, and he gave his heart to Christ that day. And, um, and at the time i spoke to him, I don't know where he is now, but he was, um, you know, this guy had lost everything. But at the time I spoke to him, he was a very content, peaceful follower of Christ. Uh, and, he, uh, and he would leave um, like Christian pamphlets and books and videos and stuff on the waiting table in his, in his customer waiting area, just to subtly, you know, get the gospel across. I thought that was really cool. So anyway, let's get back to Nebuchadnezzar. When his dream comes, he's prosperous and content. All of his enemies are under his feet. He has it all. He's Lord and King of all he surveys. But he's not honoring God or trusting in God and God sends him a dream. And we know from Scripture that God often used dreams to communicate with people. This should come up on the screen. Have a look at Job 33, 12 through to 18. If you're in the Bible study this week, you would have read it. And it says, But I tell you, in this you are not right. For God is greater than any mortal. Why do you complain to him that he responds to no one's words? For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people and they as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings, to turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit, their lives from perishing by the sword. And this is exactly what is happening to King Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? Can you see that? In fact, I see a lot of parallels actually between the stories of Job and Nebuchadnezzar and I'll highlight a few as we go through. But one of the first big ones, extreme suffering. Nebuchadnezzar does not follow Daniel's urging to humble himself before God and to do what is right. So a year later, God makes good on his promise. Have a look with me again at verses 31 to 33. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And then some, and, uh, he also spawned a uh, St. George uh, jersey over his torso, just, just to really top it all off. So in an instant, the wealthiest, most powerful, high-ranking ruler in the world at that time was reduced to something less than the lowest human position. He was reduced to the life of an animal. And as I mentioned earlier, Nebuchadnezzar had plenty of easier opportunities to trust the true God. And he acknowledged that God briefly, but then due to wealth, comfort, power, quickly slipped back into his rebellious ways. Jesus describes this kind of response in the parable of the seed sown along the path. Uh, it should come up on the screen, Matthew 13, Jesus says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And this is how Nebuchadnezzar is remembered by most people. Now, I want a bit of honesty here, because I need to know I'm not the only dullard in the room here. Who here, essentially, subconsciously or whatever, wrote off Nebuchadnezzar as a lost soul? Put your hand up. Come on. Yeah, there's a few honest people in here. Good, good. Because I did, I 100% did. And that's something I noticed in the Bible study this week, you know. Um, And I don't mean it to have a go at the guys in the study, because I was the same, I was the same thing. They they were all judging Nebuchadnezzar by his actions in the first three chapters, and they essentially written him off. And we were all guilty of that. Um, But look at how Nebuchadnezzar does actually respond. It's written there for us. Read with me from verse 34. And at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. And that's another parallel I see with Job. If you guys remember, after Job makes things right with God, he says he repents in dust and ashes, and God restores his prestige and makes him greater than before. It says in Job chapter 42.12, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. Now, remember how chapter 4 starts. Nebuchadnezzar, he's pleased to tell of the miraculous signs and wonders that God has performed for him. Have a think about that. Because what were these signs and wonders that he's he's boasting about so joyously? It was God stripping him of his kingdom, forcing him to live out in the open like an animal for seven years. (laughs) Yet here is Nebuchadnezzar, after enduring all of that suffering, praising God and being pleased to share that incredible, humbling and even humiliating account with his entire empire. And it sounds a lot like my my, my Christian brother Gary I was telling you about earlier. And, and, And notice also, I think it's important to notice that this account that he gives, it's in the past tense too. So he starts off the letter in the present tense and then he goes back to the story of what happened to him a year passes by after the dream, then potentially up to seven years. There's a bit of scholarly debate on whether it was days, weeks, months or years. Doesn't matter, he suffered pretty hard for a significant period of time, comparative to his former position. Um, and then now he's back to the current tense saying, I am still praising God, right? And, and that's the difference between his response then and his response in the first three chapters, And he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 37, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble, i.e. this guy. Um, and, 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 And you know what's really, I found quite poignant and beautiful, is that's actually the last thing we hear from Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. That's the end of his story. And that's the story of God pursuing a human being's soul through suffering. There's no further record of him backsliding again like he did earlier. No more rebellion, no more change of heart. That and, and, and what's incredible to me, what I realized that knocked me for a bit of a six, I've got to be honest, is that that is actually King Nebuchadnezzar's Christian testimony to the world. I just found that so incredible. And again, he says in the opening that it's his pleasure to share this testimony. He's excited and enthusiastic. And have you ever seen a recently converted Christian and the overflowing enthusiasm they have to tell the gospel? They kind of put us older Christians to shame, don't they? They're like, do you know Christ? You've got to trust Christ. You know, this is what he's done for me. Have a listen to what he did to me. And they'll tell you this incredible testimony. And there's so many amazing different stories about how people have come to faith in Christ. You know, I'm sure you've all heard many of them. And they're all different. And and what that tells me about our God is that he's a God who respects our individuality, and he pursues us all in different ways. He doesn't just have one sort of pickup line, so to speak, and if you don't get it, well then, hey, too bad, you missed the boat. No, God tailors his pursuit of a person to the individual heart. I always hear this stereotype that Christians are robots who all think and act the same, but my experience couldn't be further from the truth. The church is made up of the most interesting and eccentric variety of characters looking at you Barry and I absolutely love it, love you Barry. So, God tailors his pursuit of a person to their individual heart and in King Nebuchadnezzar's case it was his ego, pride and comfort. Now remember, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So, how do we respond to suffering? Do we shake our fist at God like Stalin did one more time on his deathbed? Or do we learn to lean on God as the giver and the sustainer of life and the purchaser of our salvation? You know, we in our Western culture, we've been so conditioned to only value comfort, wealth and ease that that we view any form of suffering as evil. But if that suffering leads you to a knowledge of the truth and sets you free from the curse of sin and death then I say unapologetically that suffering is a gift of mercy from a loving Heavenly Father who's concerned with your salvation. And that's certainly how Nebuchadnezzar saw it, and he was pleased to tell it to the whole world. And on that, you know, on that note of suffering, here's a, here's a unique fact to Christianity, and you all know this. Jesus, who claimed to be God, has entered into the human experience and personally partaken with us in our suffering. Our God is not aloof to human suffering. God's justice does demand that sin must be washed away by blood. That's his eternal law. And he loves us so much that he stepped forward himself, went to the cross for our sin and suffered, bled and died on that cross. And it's that one historical action. And that's the only reason that Nebuchadnezzar or anyone else is going to be in heaven. Now, it's also something I wanted to mention Um, because if this is a barrier to anyone's faith in Christ here today, I want to smash it down. There's no mention of Nebuchadnezzar's seven years of madness outside the Bible. But if you actually study the Chronicles and the historical accounts of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, there's actually only tight historical record for about the first 11 years of a 43-year reign. And I found this really interesting quote from an historian named Paul Ferguson. In a 1994 work that he wrote called Nebuchadnezzar, Gilgamesh, and the Babylonian Job. Should come up on the screen, but I'll just read a little bit of it to you. Says, Nevertheless, there are certain facts that suggest that something was amiss in the latter part of the king's reign. Meticulous historical records are available up to about the 11th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, after which the chronicles are practically silent. In 1912, Stephen Langdon published 52 building inscriptions belonging to Nebuchadnezzar. Langdon assigns only about four of them to the latter half of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. He notes that this part of the king's reign is, quote, remarkably poor in its number of literary productions, which means, you know, the extravagant boasting. Not only does the number of inscriptions suddenly drop, but also their content radically changes. Earlier preoccupation with religion wanes, i.e., the false gods and attention is turned to palaces and politics. Now, I obviously can't say for sure, and I'm only speculating here, but it's an undeniable fact that the Chronicles went from extravagant boasting to virtual silence. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and that he was restored. And there's nothing in the historical record to contradict that. And I just want to challenge people today, you know, um, we're geared towards looking at suffering and and getting angry at God. Why God? Why me? Why are you doing this? This isn't fair. But we have God's word to us that explains why sometimes people do suffer. And I would urge people to learn to praise God in their victories and in their defeats. And I would also, on the flip side of that coin, sometimes the people that are suffering, it's it's, it's for a good reason. It's because God's pursuing them. And I would challenge you that if you know someone who looks like they've got it all, you know, they're living well, they're wealthy, they've got 12 cars, boats and all that stuff, you know, they're going on holidays three times a year. I would would challenge you to maybe sidle up a little closer and see if there's any cracks there because maybe they need the gospel. Maybe God's on the verge of giving them up to their wealth and their lust, like Paul says in Romans 1. Um, I just wanted to finish today. Um, I wanted to leave you with um, a part of Mary's Song of Praise from Luke chapter 1, verse 47. Because it just, I don't know, it just popped into my head. It felt really relevant. So I'm not going to read it all, just a little bit. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds with his arm he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts he has brought down rulers from their thrones but he has lifted up the humble let's pray hey Uh, father again um, i just want to thank you for these historical accounts of how you've moved in the lives of people to to bring them from their 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 podiums and their 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 egotistical self-worship lord to bring them to their knees so that they can be saved by the knowledge that you're king your lord and i pray that we will all exercise wisdom and and learn from those experiences to hopefully make our own uh, tread a little easier. It's always good to learn from the experience of others. And Father, just to echo what Tim said this morning, um, please remind us that, yeah, as we face new government, uh, that we just always remember that you're in charge and you're the one who puts people in power and removes people from power. And, uh, and please encourage us to keep our eye on Jesus and to pray for our enemies and to love and serve and to allow the big movements of history To leave them up to you, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.